Hi, I'm Tennille. And I'm Kelsey. And we're financial advisors from Allman Partners True Wealth, bringing you thought-provoking conversations around you, your money and your life on the Wealth Experience Podcast. So welcome back. Glad you've tuned in for another episode as we have a special guest on today who is highly knowledgeable investment specialist at Vanguard and her name is Libby Newman. Vanguard is a world famous index fund manager and we are very much looking forward to giving our listeners the rare opportunity to gain insight into the investment landscape today. So Libby, welcome. Thank you very much for joining us. Yes, thanks for having me along today. It's a shame I couldn't be there in person, but next no, time. Next time, that's right. Um, so Libby, before we get stuck into all of the technical stuff, if you could just tell us a little bit about who you are and perhaps about your journey in the investment industry and Vanguard. Yeah, great. So I've been um, in the investment industry for more than 25 years now. Probably the last two and a half years have been with Vanguard. Um, and for 13 years prior to that, I was actually in a research team at Lonsuk, which is a firm that researches a lot of managed funds in Australia on behalf of financial planners. So I was mainly looking at um, multi-asset funds and bond funds in my role there. But yeah, been around the market a while. Yep. So, and, and how did you get into investing, Libby? What sparked your interest in that space? Um, probably my dad, I think, initially, because he was an accountant in a country town in Queensland in Dolby. Um, and so he was helping people organise their financial affairs. Um, yeah, so probably interested like from a fairly early age. So, right, yeah, interesting okay. that I've ended up at Vanguard, probably doing what I said I was going to be doing at about 14 years of age. So, yeah. Wow, wow. So it's definitely one of your um, passions then. So before you started with Vanguard, yeah. you obviously had a lot of knowledge in, in the industry. Um, is there anything that you noticed that was different about Vanguard to your previous experience? Did it change your, your mindset? Yeah. So I guess during my research years, I was fortunate enough to meet some of Australia's top fund managers and global fund managers, including Vanguard, of course. So I guess you could say it was a 13-year courtship on both of our parts <laughs> um, in terms of me sussing Vanguard out and, and the other way around. Um, so I was fortunate to meet a lot of really smart people in funds management. Um, to say that modesty and humility were not always in abundance. <laughs> that's probably something that Vanguard is a little bit has a little bit more um, in their culture. Um, but even the smartest people that I met um, weren't going to get it right all the time. And but sometimes what they're doing is trying to outguess the other smart person down the street. Mm. Um, also, I guess what I knew, what I given that I started um, my role at Lonsec just in the wake of the GFC. Um, it was also a, a time they reminded that there's no such thing as a free lunch. If something looks too good to be true, it often is and simple is can be better. Mm, that's really great. And I, th- I think it's always interesting to, to, to see where those, um, you know, switches happen where you get to understand what it is that you truly value. And, you know, you mentioned there the culture seemed to be the right fit um, for yeah. you when you, when you, you know, came on board with Vanguard. And no doubt there's been lots of learnings that, we, that everyone takes from different, you know, jobs that we've had over time. What's one of the key learnings that you feel you've had since being with Vanguard? Has there been any? Yeah, well, I guess when I joined, like I'd always seen from the outside, I guess the um, Vanguard's mission is to take a stand for all investors and give them the best chance of investment success. And for a lot of firms, you sort of think, okay, well, that's a, a statement that just sits on a wall or on a screensaver and it doesn't really, you know, that company 
So they really lived that, that value day to day. And so it was interesting just coming into Vanguard and it really does permeate everything we do, all the decisions that we make about our product lineup, about how our stewardship program works. Um, and note on that mission statement, that's about taking a stand for all investors, not just Vanguard investors. Mm. Um, and I think the other thing that really resonated with me was, unlike a lot of fund managers, we don't have public or private shareholders looking for a dividend. So mm. it's a little bit like a profit for mem- member situation. We are ultimately owned by our investors and so our profits are returned back to investors either in the form of lower fees on our products as we build scale or improved service in terms of giving them tools um, for education purposes or just to give them the best chance of investment success. Absolutely, and, and that that is important because when you're talking about those stakeholders, there's always going to be a, a, a conflict, whether it's real or or, or perceived there um, between yeah. the, the various stakeholders. So it's really interesting to see Vanguard's take on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not something that's very common across the. Yeah, mostly there's a shareholder who's looking for some sort of return or dividend from their investment, and that can. Yeah. It's very interesting because in, in structuring it that way, you remove the issue of agency, which is usually always common in any financial institution. Um, but yeah. Vanguard is an index style fund manager and Allman Partners, where, where we work, um, have always been advocates of index style investing since the early 2000s, which was back when the majority of advisors and institutions branded this as a lazy way of investing, for lack of a better term. Mm-hmm. Um, but sure. in today's landscape, the broader sentiment is that, you know, it's much different. So Libby, can you break it down for our investors what indexed index investing is and why that works? Yeah. So essentially, um, the philosophy is to provide low cost and high value investment. So ultimately, investors keep more of their returns, um, which is a simple concept, but pretty powerful. So Index style investing means that you're buying a very high proportion of the investments that are available in the market. So in the case of the Australian share market, for instance, we might be buying 300 of the shares that appear in in that index. Um, Or in the words of our our founder, Jeff Bogle, or John Bogle, depending on which which day of the week you look him up, um, you can look for the needle in the haystack or you can buy the haystack. So essentially in an index fund, you are buying the haystack um, and over time, the market return is probably influenced more by the winning stocks, which become a much larger weight in that in that overall index over time, relative to the underperformance, which might become a, a commensurately smaller part of the index, um, and even drop out of the index at, at some point. So actually, you know, the maths works that by investing in everything in the index, you're actually participating in those those stocks that are doing better um, over time and conventionally less exposed to those that are doing less well. It's actually quite a clever way of investing and a lot of institutions have actually cottoned onto this and realised that actually it's an efficient way of getting the returns from the market. Mm, absolutely. And of course, there are different ways um, to invest. And, and we often speak to our clients about uh, the, the two starkly different approaches, one being a very speculative approach, and really its name says it all. Um, and then a more evidence-based approach, um, which is a lot and aligned a lot with what we, we do at Allman Partners and has led to, you know, the long-term success of our clients, um, along with some great, you know, strategic advice, of course. Now, so Libby, mm. you've spoken a bit about 
index style investing. And like you say, it's not not it's not finding the needle in the haystack. It's taking the whole haystack. And so if we bring that to some uh, key characteristics of what um, what our clients hear all the time, they hear, you know, don't put all your eggs in one basket. And that's a that's a, a yeah. key area here, you know, lots and lots of diversification. You mentioned another being the fact that you can offer uh, products at a nice low cost because we always say to our clients, look, if you're not having yep. to um, go chasing uh, go chasing extra return because you can get those costs lower, that's a benefit to you. Um, now, obviously, there's a different, the, the, the other side of the fence sits over there and you've, you've been exposed to that world as as we, most, we all have at some point during our careers, yep. which is that speculative approach. Can you give us your thoughts and commentary around the, the, the different differences between those two and what you see in that space? Yeah, well, I guess I see is that investing is a, a long-term approach. Um, the returns from investing in successful businesses, it requires discipline and degree of patience because from time to time, like given that these, these stocks are, are valued on the stock market on a daily basis, on a daily basis, sometimes the value of those businesses goes up and down for reasons on the stock market that may have nothing to do with the day-to-day operations of the business. But over time, investors are rewarded by growth in the value either of those stocks or by payment of dividends or by both. Mm. Um, to me, the speculative more aligns with picking what is going to happen with the price of that particular business day-to-day um, and so identifying a few businesses that they think are, are trying uh, uh, might do better than everyone else um, and so for that to work, you've got to pick the outperforming stocks and you've got to assure that the proceeds of your winnings essentially outweigh the cost of finding them because doing that research um, at a very deep level, you know, is not free. And, and then you've got to ensure that you, you've got a higher weight to those, those more speculative stocks that might do a little bit better in, and maybe it's only over a short period of time mm. um, relative to the rest of the market. So, um, you know, essentially investing is something that requires discipline and patience. Speculation requires a degree of confidence that you are going to be able to be smarter than the next person um, and that that is going to deliver you additional returns over what you would probably be getting from the market anyway. Absolutely. And and I think you, you hit on a couple of key points there. So we often speak about the fact that, you know, speculating is like, it's like gambling with your money. You're taking a punt that something's going to do better than, than all the other information that's out there telling you that if you just held the entire market of assets and you took a long-term yeah. approach that you will be rewarded for that in terms of getting those good, good, steady, long-term returns. Um, and, mm. you know, so this is, this is some of those things we speak to our clients about um, that speculation carries with it a huge amount of risk and really do you want to be exposing your key capital, which is there for your goal funding to, to those areas. So if we come yeah. back then into index investment, uh, I want, want to yeah. talk a little about a comment that Warren Buffett, obviously a very famous name in our field, um, he made yeah. in one of his annual reports from Berkshire Hathaway, um, his investing business, which was back, you know, t- 2013 now, so talking a decade ago, but it still resonates very well now. And he actually said, and I'm going to read this out, that my advice to the trustee of my estate could not be more simple 
people put 10% of the cash in short-term government bonds and 90% in a very low-cost S&P 500 index fund. I suggest Vanguard. So he actually named Vanguard at that point in time. And I believe the trust's long-term results from the policy will be superior to those attained by most investors, whether that's pension funds, institutions, individuals who employ higher fee um, high, high fee managers, sorry. Um, now, yeah. I guess a lot of people know uh, Warren Buffett is one of the most, if not the most successful investors of all time. So th- that has something to say about how powerful index investing actually is and can be. Um, and there are a number of index fund managers out there in the in the marketplace. So uh, what's one of the key factors that investors should be considering, Libby, when they're trying to find, you know, which fund manager to use? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's interesting. Your anecdote reminded me of a, of a wager or essentially a bet that Warren Buffett also had with a hedge fund manager um, <laughs> around that time, I think, which is essentially, I think, at one of his annual general meetings, he pitted um, a Vanguard fund, I think the S&P 500 index fund, against this, this hedge fund manager who said, look, I can easily get you better than, better than the index fund over time because I know where the best hedge fund managers are and what they're, what they're likely to do. And I think the... The, the bet lasted about a decade and there were periods of time when maybe Buffett was looking a little bit worried but what he knew was that over time um, that noise and churn um, are probably the enemy of, of your longer term return profile mm-hmm. so ultimately I think he invited um, our founder Jack Bogle to one of his meetings at the end of that bet when it was ultimately successful um, the index fund had outperformed that handful of hedge funds over, over that decade. In terms of the question about considering what to look for when finding the best, well, I guess the, the first thing, thing is probably not all indexes are created equal. Mm-hmm. I think ETFs, um, exchange-traded funds, have been quite popular in the last couple of years. And we've seen, I guess, many, many, um, many different flavours of ETFs come to market and they track indexes which are the less traditional indexes, like they might be geared towards the, the latest thematic um, around artificial, artificial intelligence or, um, or the like. And oftentimes those thematic indexes are launched when that part of the market has done quite well. Um, and, and so that they attract a lot of attention, but we would, we would advise that chasing performance is not recommended because, because often there is, that might result in investors buying into something that is at the, at the peak of its hype and ultimately you might end up buying high and selling low, which is the exact opposite of what you want to be doing in, in, um, in investing. Absolutely. And I think the other thing to note is that um, index managers will try and track the index they're managing as, as closely as possible. Um, and to some degree, they're looking to overcome and, de- and deliver back on, on some of their fees that they're charging Albeit that, that oftentimes they're low, they're looking to overcome some of the fees that are managed um, for that management. And so they do undertake some incremental value add activities, which mean that, you know, in effect, um, sometimes you're getting types of, sometimes of funds pretty much for free because the value add activities sometimes cover the cost to such a degree that you're tracking the index um, for virtually no cost at all, even though the headline rate might be seven or eight basis points. So, mm. Um, yeah, so there is a lot. People sort of think that, um, you know, as you said at the outset, index fund management is lazy, but there is a lot of work that goes on under the hood in terms of delivering value back to clients, especially as you build scale. 
Absolutely. And, um, you know, like you say, there's a lot of different uh, labels that put index on it out there. And, um, you know, the idea that index just means that I'm buying buying the whole market is not often yeah. not is often not the case as well, too. You know, even if even yeah. if an investor thinks they're buying all of the Australian stock exchange, they might still only have a, a small quadrant of that because they're that that particular fund manager is looking at, a, you know, a, a small cap um index or yep. whatever the case may be. So there is a lot of research that investors have to do even to understand what those underlying assets should look like there. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where the likes of online partners can help out, I think, because, you know, if you can help to unpack, there's a myriad of things that are available out there now for investors and, and you can just help that bring, bring that together for your clients. Mm. Yeah. So, Libby, is there anything in particular about Vanguard that makes it stand out in the index world? Um, well, probably apart from the ownership structure, which I've already touched on, I think that's relatively unique. Um, we are one of the one of the larger fund managers in the world, so um, yeah, certainly that that benefit of scale we we do bring to bear um, in a lot of our, our products. And probably, you know, again coming back to that mission statement, we we do um, look for each of our products to stand on its own on its own merit. So we're not cross subsidising products. Um, essentially using the, the profits that we might be um, having from one particular style of investor and products. We're not cross-subsidising those into other styles of products. It really has to stand on its own merits, which, yeah, when I look across the landscape, that, that's not necessarily the case across the board. Yeah, absolutely. And thinking about different styles of investing, we can't be sitting down with you and not talking about ESG investing. So um, for yeah. those that don't know, environmental, social and governance factors in, in the investment space. Um, it's a really yep. hot topic at the moment and it has been for some time now. I'd be interested to hear, Libby, what your thoughts are on ESG investing. Yeah, well, I think it's been encouraging that as a whole, I think the funds management community probably over the last several years have really lifted the bar and continue to lift the bar in how they're tackling ESG. Um, at Vanguard, I think we, we're tackling it in a few different ways. We, we, there's an avoid, so we have products that are essentially excluding um, typically the types of sectors that people may not want to provide financial support in, in by using the funds. So we have what we call exclusionary funds. We also, given that we're one of the larger managers um, around the world, we also engage um, with companies directly. So we have a seat at the table in terms of, you know, company voting and voting at company meetings on issues of climate risk, um, social and equity issues within workforces for different types of companies. And so we really have, I think we've more than doubled the size of our stewardship team who do a lot of this work in terms of sitting down with companies and discussing with them directly how they're tackling um, climate risk um, and other social equity risks um, within a company level. Um, and then the lastly, so we've got avoid, so avoiding those sectors, engaging with companies and then allocating. So we do have other products that target specific areas of investment which may have a greater impact on social or environmental issues. We've got impact, what's termed impact investing um, funds as well. So I guess we're looking to tackle a, a different, um, a number of different ways because we understand that everyone has different individual values and preferences um, and we're trying to meet the needs of, of all of those investors by carrying a, a range of different products hopefully to, to cater to those needs. 
And for investors, you know, th- this space is a particularly interesting one because um, ESG is, a, is, as we know, has been a label that's been you know, slapped on a lot of different investment products in more recent times to, mm-hmm. you know, to make them look attractive. And for investors, it's important that it lines up with their values. And if they think, you know, I don't want to be investing into something that um, generates revenue from tobacco or from child labour or, or from whatever the case may be. Exactly. Um, there's so, yep. such a, again, it's where those investors need to dive in and, and have a look under the hood and go, well, what what policies is this fund manager actually employing to that I can be assured that I have uh, don't have the exposure there or I'm okay with the level of exposure that might intrinsically be there because some, as we know, some things can't just be completely stripped out um, of a sure. portfolio. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and also because we're managing a lot of our products are traded either in an ETF format. So we do provide on our website, a listing of what is exactly in the portfolio, so the exact holdings that are in there, um, which I think you know that transparency helps um, helps people understand you know what might what things might be included or excluded um, from funds at a better granular level. Yeah, and Libby, have you seen that there's been a huge uptake of ESG investing, and does this kind of influence where you see the thoughts of the future of this landscape going? You know, is it going to become more of a um, a must-have in investment portfolio? Yeah, it's been interesting. So I guess there there has been a lot of take up. I think you know one of our um, Australian shares exclusionary funds has been quite popular because it has catered to a lot of the things that, that people are looking for. So we have seen a, an uptake in, I guess, ESG types of funds. Um, 2022 was a, was a probably an interesting test case because from an investment standpoint, a lot of people were also looking for something to hedge against inflation. Um, and a lot of times those inflation hedges were coming through in the forms of exposure to commodities or energy-related stocks, the exact type of stocks that someone in an exclusionary portfolio may not have. So there might be years when, I guess, there's there's some trade-offs to be made um, from a return perspective, but ultimately I think we see that over time there tends to be not not a huge, huge difference. And I think given that the, we're seeing an uplift across the board um, in terms of ESG engagement at the company level, and at the product level, you know, I think that there will continue to be um, support for, for this type of investing going forward. Yeah, absolutely. And you'd mentioned there that, you know, in times of, you know, when COVID in, in 2020, when all of that started happening, and it causes a lot of unsettlement in people, and we've got high inflation, increasing cost of living, and all those yeah. things mixed in together in one bag. And there might be some people out there at the moment that go, it's probably not a good time to invest. Everything feels quite scary and we're not too sure where it's going to head. Um, yeah. Libby, can you give our listeners some food for thought around that type of mentality? Yeah. Well, I think every year that I've been in the financial markets, there's been someone saying that this year is more uncertain or there's more volatility or there's likely to be more volatility. So I think that's a pretty much permanent permanent feature of the investment landscape. Yeah. I guess the, the truth is that the future is unknowable, but the long term is inevitable. So the magic of compounding, which is really what you're you're tapping into as a long-term investor, is the magic of compounding is your friend. So it's really more about time in the market mm-hmm. um, and getting that investment going early 
or by regular contribution, which really helps to build wealth over time, not timing the market, T-I-M-I-N-G the market, because that can be notoriously difficult to do. So essentially, the sooner, sooner you put your money to work in investing and get the benefits of compounding, the better off you'll be over the long term. That's exactly right. Yeah, I think that's a really good um, space to enter into because we have a lot of um, people that are talking about starting investing. Maybe they haven't started their journey at all yet, um, and they're yeah. not sure when to get in. So you know your commentary there about the fact that being in the market for the longer the long term is a better scenario than trying to time when to get in and when to get out. That's a key point. So the earlier people can get invested, the better that that long term outcome is going to be for them. Um, what do you think about the idea of um, of how much is enough. You know, the common question we get a lot is, I don't feel like I'm ready to invest yet because I don't have enough money. Um, and I yeah. feel like Vanguard's quite inclusive in this this manner. So what are your thoughts there, Libby? Yeah, well, I think it's been good that over the last several decades, we've seen essentially the democratisation of investing. And what I mean by that is that it, it's become much more accessible um, for for people to sort of start investing with a much, lo- which, with, um, a much lower base capital amount. So maybe even a couple of hundred dollars and then just sort of chipping in on that regularly. So this is a conversation that I have with my my 20-year-old son. We do have some different opinions about what constitutes a diversified portfolio because <laughs> his diversification might be might include some cryptocurrencies and some NFTs or something. Um, I don't I don't view those in quite the same way from an investment perspective, but I think that's the lesson that best learnt earlier, earlier in your investing career. Mm-hmm. Um, but you don't actually need a big pool of money to get started. Some of our ready mixed diversified funds, which basically are, you're tapping into 16,000 different securities, and you can essentially have exposure to that in a single trade. I think it's around $60 for one unit, or we'll start with an amount of maybe $500 on our platform and, and set up a regular um, couple of hundred dollars investment amount so you know you really don't need a lot to get started and it's about getting started and just getting the benefit of that through time which again tapping back into the earlier comment around my dad my dad I think gave me a book from Noel Whitaker I think I was around 18 or 19 and I really wished that I had done what he what was said in that book in terms of just getting into the market much earlier and just letting that compounding um, take effect and I think that's another comment that Buffett has made that mm. you know you don't necessarily need, need to be the smartest person in the room um, to be successful investing you just have to live long enough for that compounding effect to really um, magnify your returns over time and Buffett, Buffett's managed to do that he's quite an old, old guy yeah. <laughs> Oh, okay. Well, thank you very much for your time today, Libby. I think um, that's been a really great conversation and we definitely appreciate you taking the time to speak with us. Um, For everyone that's listening, hopefully you've enjoyed the podcast today. So if so, please don't forget to subscribe to the show and of course, leave us feedback. Um, We want to hear more from you um, so we can give you the content that you want to hear. So join us again on the Wealth Experience podcast where we talk about all things health, wealth and happiness. The mention of any specific investment products, companies or services in this podcast does not imply endorsement or recommendation. We encourage you to conduct your own research and due diligence before engaging in any investment activities. 
ESG stands for Environmental, Social and Governance. Whilst there is a general consensus on the broad categories encompassing ESG, it is crucial to note that different organisations, institutions and regions may have varying definitions and interpretations of what falls under each category. Therefore, there can be discrepancies in how ESG factors are assessed and classified. Investing in securities, including ESG-focused investments, involves risk. The value of investments may fluctuate and past performance is not indicative of future results. We encourage you to carefully consider the risks associated with investing and seek professional advice if needed. You should consider your objectives, financial situation and needs and the relevant product disclosure statement and or IDPS guide before making any investment decision. You should also refer to the target market determinations of any product before making an investment decision.